hear now from God's word. Our Old Testament will also be our sermon text for this morning as we continue to walk uh, through the book of Exodus together. Exodus chapter 32, selected verses. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the people of Israel drink it. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold, but now... If you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. This is the reading of God's word. Our epistle reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 7, beginning at verse 37. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet from me, from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai with our fathers. He received living oracles to give us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Molech and the star of your god Rephan the images that you made to worship. I will send you into exile, 
beyond Babylon. Now our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he spoke to Moses and directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in, brought it in with Joshua when he had dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. The reading of God's word. In light of Christ fulfilling all of scriptures in his gospel, I invite you to rise together to stand for a gospel reading which comes from the book of Matthew chapter 23 and 24. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until I say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, You see these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us profess our faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Uh, you're welcome to join me in the scriptures this morning, the book of Exodus chapter 32. This is the, uh, the incident of the golden calf here. As we turn to scriptures, we hear them speak to us saying that the wages of sin is death, okay? That's what Paul describes it as. And here in this incident, we have a picture of this reality. We have a picture of what sin is. It's, it's power. It's resulting corruption, and ultimately, it's leading us unto death. Here in this passage, God responds to Aaron and to God's people in their sin at Mount Sinai. And he says to Moses, he says, leave me, leave me so that my wrath can burn, so that I may consume these people. I will blot them out. I will visit their sin against them. And it says that the Lord sent a plague on them. It's like, oh my goodness. What do these people do in building this calf that brings out such anger and such wrath? Why is God so upset? And what could the people do about it? We have judgment here. We have wrath. 
We have idolatry. There's death. However, there's good news here as well. The good news is that sin, even death itself, does not have the last word. For we have a God, we serve a God who is just, who is patient, who is merciful, who is love. And this God has given us one greater than Moses, who lives to intercede on our behalf. And it is to him whom we pray to this morning as we go into his word. Will you join me with a word of prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have given us your word, which is living and active. I pray you would open our eyes and soften our hearts, that we might behold Jesus more clearly. And in the beholding, we might give glory, honor, and praise to you. Through your son, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Now, there's always a contrast with sin. There's God's way, and there's a lot of other ways we can choose, right? Um, There's some other way. If we could hold, we're, we're skipping over a bunch of chapters Um, because you guys would all fall asleep as I read it, so we're not going to do that. I want you to fall asleep just while I'm preaching, okay? Chapters 25 through 31, there's a long exposition about what God wants from his people in the construction of a tabernacle. And if we could hold those chapters all as one big picture, we could see there's a stark contrast to what happens in chapter 32, got this big big section here, there's a hinge, and then there's a contrast, okay? Verse 30, chapter 31, verse 18 is a bit of a hinge verse. It reads this way, and he, God, gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. All of chapters 25 through 31 have this refrain, written with the finger of God. You've got God commanding, God writing, God designing, and then what happens in chapter 32? Written with the finger of God, the creator, redeemer, and sustainer of the world, orders the way that we work, the way that we live. To love him then is to consecrate ourselves to him and to conform our lives to his way. Though when we're left to ourselves, we often go our own way, which is what we see Israel doing here, isn't it? Chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. He has been gone a while, Moses, over three, over five weeks, getting close to 40 days up there on the mountain with Joshua. And now the natives at the foot of the mountain are getting restless. Remember, the people at the foot of the mountain are the very people who saw God plague Egypt into submission. They're the same people who saw God execute uh, escape and vengeance through the Red Sea. God's presence was ever before them to lead them, to feed them. They cut a covenant with God on chapter 24 in the very place where they stand now at, at the foot of Mount Sinai. But their leader is gone, and Moses' absence is causing some anxiety. So they rouse up Aaron, the second in command here. He's like the eldest child left in charge as mom and dad are gone. And they say to him, get up. Almost like, wake up. What do they want from him? Verse 2, Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Verse 4. 
he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar to it. Aaron made a proclamation, said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Let's give the wilderness wanderers a little bit of some slack here for a minute. Maybe the benefit of the doubt. They maybe fear that Moses is not coming back. Perhaps God struck him dead. But they're remembering chapter 23, 24, where they, re, they, they, they cut a covenant. They made a covenant with the living God. And they're trying to imitate that covenant making now. Just five weeks before, they worshiped their Lord. So they call upon Aaron, get up, Aaron. We need to hear from God. So Aaron takes his place. He asks them to give them the, the gold from the ears of their wives, daughters, children, in order that he could create a desired image. Now, these are the same riches that the Israelites got from Egypt, right? When, when, when Pharaoh finally says, get gone, God commands Israel to get out of there, then what happens? The Egyptians give them great wealth and riches. So these earrings that were plundered from Egypt are now being used to form an idol in the image of Egyptian gods. Aaron then makes an altar, just as Moses had done, and he invites people to come and worship, to make an offering to atone for their sin so that they might approach the, the God of this calf and commune with this God, the living God. This is what Aaron says, not just any God. He says, this is a feast to Yahweh, to the Lord. So that's key. Through the golden calf, they're looking to find a way to dwell and to feast with Yahweh. In the, the way that Moses ascended into the mountain, now the people, though they sit down to eat, what's it say at the end of that verse? It said they rose up to play. They are looking to ascend and dwell with the living God. Verse 7, and the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people who have, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. There's corruption amongst the people, and God commands his prophet and priest Moses to go down and address the corruption. Like at the Tower of Babel, it's very clear that God has to descend because his people are in sin. They've gone astray. Did you notice how God speaks to Moses about the Israelites in verse 7? Listen to what he says. Go down for your people, Moses, whom you, Moses, brought up out of the land of Egypt. Is that just blame shifting here? What's God doing? He's disowning these very people. Who brought them up out of Egypt? Did Moses lead them? Sure. But isn't God the one who freed them? God is disowning his people here. And he's charging the people with corrupting themselves, with turning quickly from his way. And the quickest way to restore health to a body is what? Is to consume the corruption, right? To get rid of the infection. And so God is warning Moses, saying, let, just let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them that I may consume the corruption in my house. But why such anger at this? How have they turned from God's way so quickly? And, and how have they then, in that turning, corrupted themselves? Let's 
what's going on there? Isn't sin just disobeying God, you know, doing something that he said not to do or failing to do something that he said to do? How is this a corruption of themselves? Well, how have they abandoned the way, first of all? Well, they've abandoned the way because they are seeking to worship God, but not in the way that he designs. They are worshiping, approaching him in false ways, ways of their own devising. They've abandoned the way which he has given them. And then they've corrupted themselves because what they're doing is they're seeking to feast themselves to give their lives to things other than God. The, the chapter 24 through 31, it's all about covenant formation. It's all about tabernacle construction. It's all about the, the equipment that goes in there in order that the people of God can commune with the God in whom they are in covenant with. And it's a stark contrast to chapter 32 where they now devise their own way to God. It's an image of sin, isn't it? It really is. It's, it's when we go our own way. This image is to help us feel the wretchedness of our sin. They have abandoned the way of their God. God has been in their midst since they've been freed from Egyptian bondage. And when He's in their midst, they are safe. And they flourish as God's people, even in the wilderness. But as happened in the garden, obedience to the Word and the way of God is required for continued fellowship in the presence of God, as He said to do. That word and way is given to Moses at Sinai. He's already communicated the covenant to this people before he goes back up to the mountain. Now, if we're honest, like if we start reading chapters 25 through 31, the eyes begin to glaze over, don't they? They're, we're reading about materials. We don't really know what they are sometimes. There's dimensions. We don't know what the dimensions look like. There's strange furniture. There's just odd imagery. There's Lengthy descriptions of the lampstand and the altar. There's talk of spices and of stones. Even mention of priestly underwear, of incense, and of oil. And you're kind of getting through this stuff. You're like, why is this such a big chunk of this text that's kind of confusing to me? Well, isn't it because this is what God wants of his people? At the end of, or in chapter 25, as he begins telling Moses about what he's going to be talking about, he says this. Let them, my people, let my people make a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell in their midst. And he says this, exactly as I show you. So for seven chapters, he says, this is exactly what approaching me looks like. This is the exact way to come into my presence, to dwell with holiness itself. This is the exact Way. But what do we find happening as God is commanding Moses, giving instruction on the way? What do we see at the very foot of Mount Sinai? A mountain at the, mount, the foot of the mountain, we see counterfeit worship. If we read chapters 25 through, through 31, we see that God is intending those gold earrings of the wives and the, 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 the children. Those gold earrings are supposed to be what's to make up the, the, the lampstand, the gold overlays on the altar, etc., etc., those contributions are to be to established and to build up the tabernacle, the house of God, but instead they're put to use constructing a, a false idol, a false God, and an unsanctified altar. Aaron, even as he talks to the people, he uses the same wording that, that, that God uses as he gives the Ten Commandments. He says, these are the gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
That's how he begins the Ten Commandments. And, and Aaron is just taking what he heard, and he's constructing his own approach to God. And he devotes worship to Yahweh through unauthorized means, through idols. Okay. That's what's happening at the foot of Mount Sinai. But I want us to see this is an image of sin, what sin looks like for Israel throughout their history, throughout their life. There's always in their hearts a desire to return to Egypt. They take on time and again forms of false worship. And you see as you read about the kings, they're building high places. Whenever the kings, their lives are summarized, even if the king does well, this king did well, except what? What remained? They didn't take care of the high places. They still encourage the worship of Yahweh in unauthorized ways. So what's happening here? Is it that they are worshiping false gods here? That's very possible, isn't it? These are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They're breaking the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Absolutely. Very likely. You shall have no other gods before me. But are they really looking to the calf as their god? What does Aaron say? We're going to sacrifice and it will be a feast to Yahweh, to the Lord. What's happening here is they're breaking the second commandment. They are making a craven or a carved image through which they attempt to worship God. We see Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, down the road here, making sacrifices of their own invention, devising new ways to approach God and abuse his sacrifices. They are worshiping God in unauthorized ways. When kings of Israel are remembered, their deeds, even if they're highlighted, they failed to get rid of the high places. This idol, this golden calf is set up like it was in, in Dan and other places. And in it, communion with the living God is sought. So does that make sense? So what's happening is they're seeking to worship God through this idol, as if we would set up a, an image or a statue and seek to worship Jesus through this false image, okay? Which happens today as well. There's two things I want to note here, okay? First thing is this, that God's people are to be God's house, the Garden of Eden, what we see is description of the tabernacle and of the temple. There's imagery of the garden and tabernacle and temple. Those garden, tabernacle, temple are, are houses for which man dwells with God. But we see that the, the garden, the tabernacle, and the temple, it's all models or types of God's house, which is to be His people. Paul tells us, you are the temple of God. To approach God in ways that are adulterous or misguided is to bring corruption into that house. How have they corrupted themselves? Well, they brought in false idols, and they're seeking to approach God in His house in ways that He doesn't command. There, are, there is corruption in the house of the living God. The golden calf is not only a breaking of the covenant and command, it is a corruption of God's house. So in the life of Israel, we have what you might think of as corrupted development. God is establishing and building them up as a house for His name that will then go out and bless the nations as the nations come to them. That's the design of God's people. But there's a corruption in this development. But we also see there's an arrested development as well. There's a lack of maturing in the image of God. See, notice that God leaves his people for a little while, doesn't he? About 40 days, they're at the foot of the mountain, and God is talking with Moses up 
on the top of the mountain. What's going on there? Why would God do that? Isn't it, well, it seems throughout Scripture that He does leave His people to themselves that they might grow in wisdom. When Adam and Eve sinned, what, they were walking in the garden alone, right? God had left them. He's given them His word, His commands. Now are they going to grow into their priestly roles? Will they obey Him? Will they flourish? So here's a takeaway, maybe. Often, God's absence is, is felt. His felt absence. And often we think, if I don't sense that God is close to me, maybe I'm just cold and indifferent. My heart's grown cold, and that's possible. Maybe it's because I've done something, I've sinned, and I've not confessed it. Maybe that's why he's... But here's the deal. Oftentimes, God will leave us. The felt absence is that we might take hold of him, his word, and grow in wisdom in what he calls us to. So an application could be, if there is a felt absence of the living God, the question might be a form of prayer. What are you calling me to be and to do? What am I to grow into that I might better image your son? For the Israelites, what they did, unfortunately, was they, they built this idol. And there was a corruption of God's word in the world now. His way is being avoided. And in a lot of ways, it's a reversion for these people. God is saying, you can ascend into my midst, but what are they doing? They're going back to old forms of religion. They want to go back to the old ways in Egypt. It's a reversion to childhood. It's a neglect of adulting in the image of God. So what do they need? Well, they need to straighten up, right? Put your, get your act together, right? What do they need? They need someone to speak on their behalf. Verse 11. This, remember, this is after God said, uh, your people whom you set free from Egypt, right? Moses says this. Moses implored the Lord as God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent if you bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. See, Moses is called by God, and Moses reasons by God, does, with, with God, doesn't he? What does he say to the living God? He says, look, you, Lord, you're the one who brought them up out of Egypt. It wasn't me. You're the one who sent the plague. You're the one who freed them. These are your people. Secondly, he says, why would you destroy your people and just give the Egyptians all the, the ammo they need to, to, to dishonor your name, to mock you, O oh Lord? Don't forget, these are your people, and why would you destroy them and prove Egypt right? And thirdly, he says, remember you promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that this will be their land. Will you go back on your word, Lord? Moses is pleading with God to have mercy on a wayward and sinful people. Verse 15. Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in hand that were written on both sides. On the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Again, this is God. This is God. This is God. This is his way. This is his word. Verse 19. As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. He threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, made the people drink it. We need someone to intercede for us, to plead on our behalf for the mercy of God, but we also need someone to help us address sin. 
Moses calls out the sin for what it is, and he rebukes the people firmly. He even demonstrates the kind of sin that they've accomplished here. What have they done? When he throws the tablets and they shatter, what is he saying? You've broken the word of God. You're going your own way. You are seeking to demolish the very word of God. Moses is, as prophet here, is, is representing the jealous God who burns in jealousy as a consuming fire as the idol is put to flames. Showing its corruptive nature then, of course, Moses has them drink and ingest their sin. And in the next section, though, Aaron, Aaron makes excuses. Hey, put this the gold in there, and all of a sudden there's a calf. Sin is still addressed. Consequences are meted out. The wages of sin is death, and that's obvious at the foot of Mount Sinai. As Moses commanded the Levites, he says, put your sword on your side. Go throughout the camp, kill brother, companion, neighbor. Our passage even ends with judgment, saying that the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf. The image of sin here, it reminds us that our God is a consuming fire, and we who corrupt ourselves in sin as God's house are warned. And we remain a desperate people, helpless in ourselves, hopeless in ourselves, unless one would intercede for us. We need a prophet. We need a priest to enter into our midst and plead our case for us before the living God. And that's what Moses does. He is prophet, he is priest, and he functions as a sacrificial king. Look at verse 31. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They made for themselves gods of gold, but now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. The heart of the Christian story, the heart of the Bible is the reality that a priest who is also a prophet, who is a sacrificial king, leads God's people. This prophet, priest, king enters into the lives of those who are wayward and rebellious, who sin against the living God. Ever and always, God's people are constructing idols in their hearts, these golden calves that are corrupting themselves and therefore corrupting all who they touch and are with. God's house, there is the deadly consequence and, of, of sin. And our only hope is to cry out for one to deliver us, one who will step in the way of the holy and just God, who in his anger, in his jealousy, threatens to consume. We need one who will, who will willingly step in to be consumed on our behalf. Here I am, send me, is what we as God's people need. A Moses who says, blot me out instead of them. See, God visited his people's sin upon their heads in the same way that a parent allows their child to feel the bitter cold when they go out in a coatless way. But in his mercy, as his prophet pleads with him, God stays his wrathful hand. The story of the Bible, the story of Christianity is that another Moses was raised up by God. And this Moses, this new Moses, is calling his people to return to God's word and his way. He too came, and he cleanses the temple, the house of God. He comes rebuking God's priests and leaders. This new Moses comes to crush the idols, these golden calves, 
in the people's lives and hearts. This new Moses, he also stood in the way of God's wrath. He invited God to blot him out of his book. And unlike Moses, God's wrath was poured out upon this new Moses. God's hand was not stayed in mercy for Jesus. And though we, his people, do not drink down the corruption of our golden idol, sin, Jesus did drink down the wrath of God. And he drank it down to the dregs. Look, it can be hard to relate. We don't make golden calves a lot, do we? In effort to worship God, we don't cast gold and form idols. And it is the very picture of each and every sin, each and every attempt to go our own way. The story of Exodus is our story. The story of rejecting God's word and God's way in manifold ways. And it is Jesus' story in the deliverance of God's people. Because Jesus has been given for us. And Jesus has now ascended to dwell at the right hand of God. No longer have to ascend any Mount Sinai to speak with God because we have one who lives now at the right hand of the living God. And he lives, the Bible says, he lives to intercede for us. We don't go through statues. We don't go through icons. We go directly to the throne of God through Jesus Christ. And he who is the living water, he promises to cleanse rather than consume. And so we plead, have mercy on us. Look not upon our unrighteousness, but upon the righteousness of your Son, in whose grace we are clothed with his righteousness. And have mercy upon us? Well, he does, because God is mercy. Jesus is the crusher of golden calves. He is the purifier of wayward souls. He is the one who drinks the cup of God's wrath, that we might then drink the cup of his salvation. The one who sits at the right hand of the living God invites, not through statues or icons, not through our own righteous deeds, yet he invites, come to me and I will give you rest. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word and this image here before us of what sin is. I pray you would help us to feel the weight of sin, of our waywardness, of our rebellion, in order that we might repent wholeheartedly, that we might turn to you, look to you, and follow you eagerly, desiring nothing but your honor, your glory, and the good of your church. We pray now for the life of Christ to be made manifest in our lives. In his name we pray, amen. Come now to a time of offering. Instructions will be given uh, here on the screen in your bulletins or how to give online or else there's an offering collection box at the back of the sanctuary as well. Would you please rise together and we'll sing the doxology. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us yourself through your dear Son, Jesus Christ. And now we give ourselves to you through these tithes and offerings that our lives might be used for the furtherance of your kingdom in our midst and throughout the world. In the name of Christ, we pray all of these things. Amen. You may be seated.